All right, Betfolio Voice listeners, as promised, we're back again with a second discussion with Brandy Phillips and Dr. Larry Garcia from the University of Florida's Veterinary Emergency Treatment Services, or VETS, team. If you heard our first discussion about disaster preparedness, then you already know a little bit about the UF VETS team. But in case you missed it, here's a little refresher. UF VETS is a team composed of volunteer veterinarians, staff, and veterinary students who provide disaster response, animal technical rescue, and animal technical rescue training. They've assisted in hurricane response, hoarding cases, disease outbreaks, oil spills, and technical rescues involving a variety of species and emergencies. In this second episode, I'll be talking with Brandy Phillips and Dr. Garcia about how to be prepared as a veterinary professional in the case of a disaster. We'll talk about some of the educational and other resources to help develop and put a plan into place before disaster happens. Let me first remind you about my guests, and then we'll get into our talk. Dr. Larry Garcia is a clinical assistant professor and medical director for the VETS team at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. Prior to joining the university, Dr. Garcia was a shelter veterinarian in a large county shelter in South Florida. While in this role, Dr. Garcia participated in multiple response drills and provided veterinary insight for county emergency protocols and procedures. In his role as UFVET's medical director, Dr. Garcia oversees medical and pharmaceutical inventory, equipment maintenance, protocol writing, medical oversight, training, and team leadership. He's participated in several disaster response exercises and led a state-requested field hospital deployment. He also teaches graduate-level Introduction to Veterinary Disaster Response. Brandy Phillips first began working with UF Vets in 2011 as a curriculum specialist. Brandy teaches animal technical rescue training provided to first responders throughout the state of Florida. Over the years, she's responded to numerous technical rescue calls involving dogs, cows, and horses. She's also cross-trained in other technical rescue disciplines, including rope rescue, confined space, and swift water rescue. She serves as a subject matter expert on the National Fire Protection Association Committees for Technical Rescue and the Florida State Agricultural Response Team Steering Committee. Phillips also deploys as support staff for the Veterinary Disaster Response Team and serves as public information officer for the team. Here we go with our second episode on disaster response with Dr. Larry Garcia and Brandy Phillips. Enjoy. In this podcast, we're talking a little bit more towards veterinarians and veterinary professionals and the organizations that are out there related to disaster response and how to become a responder the right way. So first, let's talk about your team, the UF Vets team. Can you tell us about it in a little bit more detail, your roles in it and your roles in preparedness and response? I'm... Uh, the medical director, and so I'm responsible for protocols and procedures and making sure that we have the right medical supplies and medications and equipment for deployment, but it's really important that it's very fluid and dynamic, and so we have to adapt and adjust to the requirements. So based on the need, whether it's a flood, a hurricane, a fire, there's going to be varying needs. Are we providing support to a community? Are we providing support to a shelter? various things like that. And so our team sort of just adapts to whatever the need is, and we can provide support in many different ways. And I think the most important thing to think about is that for me as a veterinarian, I need to be 
able to help and support those animals in the community where the need is. And so I don't intend to be a duplication of veterinary practices that are already in existence. I intend to be in a team in which we can provide support where there's not. So where the community resources have either been tapped out or where the community just needs additional resources. And so it's really important to think about that. And, and definitely we're gonna go when we've been requested. And so what that means is basically the state deploys this as a resource. So the state gets a request for a county that needs a field hospital in which there's no other medical support in the area. So we're gonna go down there and be that field hospital and provide whatever medical care necessary, connect with any nearby hospitals for cases that may be more critical and basically try to provide what support we can. And so our team is composed of a mix of professionals as far as veterinarians. We also have veterinary students as well as technicians and other trained staff that have mostly had some background in animal technical rescue training. So we can sometimes split off and provide different types of support depending on the need. And I support our animal technical rescue team. So I'm our branch director for that side of the program. That tends to be more localized emergencies on an ongoing basis. But like Dr. Garcia said, that can also include pieces in the disaster response, particularly if you see flooding and things of that nature, we end up having more technical rescue responses during those incidents as well. Um, with the technical rescue aspect of it, our team is relatively small and pretty nimble. We have a lot of background and training in a lot of related technical rescue disciplines. And then we also tie into local community resources. So we work a lot in conjunction with local veterinarians, as well as uh, first responders. That can be firefighters, it can be paramedics, it can be law enforcement, um, fish and wildlife. So just depending on what the situation calls for. Um, but very similar to disaster response, we have to be pretty nimble in what we're doing. And we have to be able to adapt to a lot of different types of needs and circumstances. Absolutely. You talked about field hospital. Um, some of the resources that you have available to support a community that would be in need. So what we have is a pretty solid medical equipment cache. And so basically everything that you would find in a veterinary examination room, we have loaded into sort of a small tool cart. And basically we have several of those. We also have some air conditioned tents. We actually have a medical sort of surgical trailer that can be converted into a medical triage area with cages. Everything we have is generator supported. And so we do leave with uh, several generators. Some of the equipment has built-in generators and then we bring enough fuel to support those for several days at a time. And so in the event that we need, we have anesthesia machines, we have surgery tables, we have sterile supplies, we have all the protective equipment that we would need to perform surgeries. And so we're basically equipped to provide any kind of medical care that would be needed in a situation such as this, um, in which supplies are limited, electric may be limited, water may be intermittent. And so we can bring fresh water as well. We also have the ability to actually pump water up out of a well if needed. So we are very well equipped to try to adapt to situations based on where we're sent. 
that sounds really neat to work in one of these field hospitals that, you know, kind of pops up in these disaster areas. Dr. Garcia, you have been conducting some research in the area of disaster response and veterinary preparedness. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the world of disaster response, there's not a whole lot of really great literature out there. A lot of what's out there is related to previous responses and sort of almost like a debriefing standpoint. So this is what happened. These are the approaches that were taken. These are the things that were done. And then these are some of the things that didn't work well. These are some of the things that worked well. These are some of the things we wish we knew. And so one of the things in areas like Florida where we see a lot of disasters, but there's various areas of the country where we see different kinds of disasters. And so the point of the survey was to kind of look and see where is everybody at? Do you feel prepared for a disaster? Does, you, does your practice have a plan for the disasters that may impact your practice? And, and what sorts of steps do you take to maintain uh, you know, these emergency plans? Are, are there drills? Are there meetings to discuss the plans? Are there anything along those lines? And, and we did include some questions about COVID. Like what kind of things um, did catch you off guard? What kind of things did you have to adjust? What sort of things worked and what sort of things didn't work? And then basically, since we know there's very few programs that provide core training in veterinary school. So looking at um, for, for the whole country, the veterinarians as a whole, you know, do you feel prepared for a disaster? Do you wish you had this training in veterinary school? Do you wish you had opportunities even now as a veterinarian to take that training? And so there's a lot of talk of seeing more and more disasters and, and trying to look at ways that we can standardize training. Right now, there's not a way to credential a veterinarian for a disaster response. So, for example, I have a lot of FEMA training, incident command system training, and so I understand how the incident command system works and the chain of command and, and how I should respond. I'm not going to self-deploy. I'm going to wait till I've been asked to deploy. And then when I deploy, I'm going to report to the person in command of the in incident. And then that person is going to tell me, hey, this is what I need you to do. And then we're going to stay in communication. And so basically, it's all about kind of understanding what I need to do. Now, for all intents and purposes, the cases aren't going to be all that different from the cases I'm going to see in practice. So as far as a medical standpoint, the training is more about thinking like a responder, thinking like a first responder. So a lot of times the cases that we see in practice, even emergency, are going to come in the door and we're going to have all our equipment and everything ready to go. Versus during disaster or even in a technical rescue, it's more like, okay, what can I bring with me? without having to bring the entire building with me? And, and how can I use those resources to best help the animal in need? And so it, it definitely kind of really pushes you to the limits of trying to understand things. But at the same time, it's using the knowledge I already have and applying it in a way that may be a little different than my daily practice. Do you uh, foresee in the future this becoming part of a core veterinary curriculum? There are two programs, uh, North Carolina State and Texas A&M, both veterinary colleges do have these uh, disaster preparedness courses, which include trainings, include some drills, and even include some scenarios that can be done on the computer and sort of working through potential disaster scenarios. 
there's definitely a movement towards trying to make this more standard in veterinary practice because as the experts for animal medical care and welfare, we definitely need to have a greater involvement in these plans, whether at the state level, county level, local level, or as well as nationally, when we're dealing with all these different disasters. Right now, there's several disasters going on around us simultaneously. So it's really important to sort of look at that so that everybody's prepared. Is everybody gonna respond necessarily? Probably not. But having that option out there, like at the University of Florida, we have some elective courses, but we find that those students that are in the DVM curriculum that are interested definitely stay more committed to it and oftentimes do respond quite a bit as graduates as practicing veterinarians. So I think it's, it's important to have that option, but it's definitely not for everyone. Leaving your family behind for 10 days, definitely not for everyone. And, and sort of looking at those things, there's a ton of positives to responding, but at the same time, there's some challenges and there's, there's definitely a lot to ask. By the same token, veterinary technicians have programs as well that provide support and response, just like the veterinary medical associations. There's technician associations as well, as well that also kind of provide that sort of support. Getting the knowledge out there, and that kind of goes into my next question of there's a lot of different organizations and agencies and education and uh, things like that surrounding me being a first responder or responding as a veterinarian. Why is it important for us as veterinarians and veterinary professionals to be aware of the different agencies and know how they do what they do and how they work? Well, the important thing is I know for me, starting out as a veterinary practitioner, I had no idea who I would contact in the event that the practice was damaged. Um, we, the first practice I worked in was in a tornado prone area. We didn't have a plan. There was no plan whatsoever. So luckily the clinic never got hit by a tornado, but we, did, we wouldn't even know who to contact. And for me, it wasn't until I started working for a county agency that I learned that there are actual plans and there's actually responsibilities on the part of your, generally your animal control operations to provide support to the animals in the county in the event of disaster. But the problem is most veterinarians don't have contact with that. Now, luckily there's veterinary corps that are usually associated with veterinary medical associations and those usually somewhat have communication with your state entities and local entities, but it's not always the case. And so after disaster, there may be decreased communication and so you don't even necessarily have that resource. So it's really important to plan ahead, find out who the contact would be in animal control, find out who those important characters would be should you wind up with your practice full of a bunch of stray animals that came up or that people brought up because they found them post-disaster and knowing who to contact and how to get these animals reunited. Granted, if there's a microchip and good uh, identification on the animals, that's going to be easier but also understanding the regulation that goes with that. If you don't find an owner, it doesn't mean you can just make a plan for that animal and move on. You need to contact the proper resources and make sure that that animal is available to the owner to reunite them again. And that's going to kind of vary state to state, area to area. And so that's where you're talking about planning ahead because this is not like a one size fits all. This is disaster dependent and area dependent and, and things like that. So being aware 
of the resources that are out there and how they work in, in conjunction with each other. Does that kind of summarize the end right. part of that? Right, because that is the issue, is that in Florida we see a lot of disasters. In California they see a lot of disasters. And so we tend to be a little more prepared for things like that. And so emergency animal sheltering and, and things like that are becoming more of a mainstream setup. But at the same time, there's a lot of areas in the middle of the country that we have, there's no plan or there's no shelter or there's no animal control that's equipped to help manage these situations. And so a veterinarian might find themselves in a position that they might have to be that resource. And so it's understanding who to communicate with and whether it's like your local city commissioners or your county commissioners and kind of figure out where do you fit into that mold and then making sure that there's some sort of relationship established pre-disaster so that in the event of a disaster, you can provide help and support. Because generally it's very difficult to create those relationships amidst a disaster or even post-disaster. Oh gosh, I can only imagine trying to seek out that information in the middle of all the madness would be nearly impossible, if not impossible. What about you, Brandy? I'll shift over to you here for a minute. Are there situations that you've been in where you're going, man, additional education for all of us involved here would really be beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. I think really the important thing to know is that everything starts at the local level. And so there are a lot of really great organizations that respond at the state level or the national level. And in order for them to get involved and in order for them to have a role to play and to be helpful, the local level is really where everything has to start. And so veterinarians tying into their local emergency operations center, recognizing you know, what role they can play within their own community if they want to have a more active role, or even just knowing what resources are going to be available to them in the event that they need that help. The more that they can communicate locally within their own emergency operations, the easier it's going to be to access those resources later on the back side of it. Um, and like Dr. Garcia mentioned, there are so many different organizations that are out there um, to be able to help certain situations, but they may be spread throughout the country. Uh, here in Florida, we have a lot of really great animal sheltering that goes on. Our Florida State Animal Response Coalition has done a really good job and they actually deploy nationally now. Uh, but it just depends on what resources are in your area. And if you don't know what's happening locally first, it's really difficult to then tap into the bigger picture. This is what you guys are talking about as far as thinking like a responder, because everything you're saying, I mean, I feel like I'm the very stereotypical veterinarian of, I think about the animals and how are we going to take care of the animals and what are we going to do? But if you can't take care of them and you need additional resources, I wouldn't know where to go. And um, so it's making a lot of sense. You guys are really bringing it full circle as far as thinking like a responder and planning ahead and knowing what resources are out there for all of us. So we've kind of done this suggestion that there's these agencies out there and resources available. Can you guys give us just a brief rundown of you know, who, where, where would we even start? What, what are these agencies and, and organizations that we're talking about that we would start to contact and need to be aware of? So what I would say is probably your first stop as veterinarian would be your local animal control. And depending on where you are, it may be a city organization, it may be a county organization. Um, I would also look at your local VMA. So there's whether your local level veterinary medical association or your state level veterinary medical association, both of those are going to have some contacts and resources. And oftentimes are pretty well connected to the state. 
Now, above that, you're going to have your agricultural and consumer services agencies. Those are pretty good. Um, fish and wildlife, depending on the situation, can be kind of helpful. Um, and then, of course, in the event, which a lot of the states that are more impacted by disasters, there's usually an agricultural response team associated. Um, but not every state has one of those. And so these are the groups that are going to help coordinate resources. And so these are the groups that are going to say, oh, you need a veterinarian over here. Okay, I've got this veterinary resource with this College of Veterinary Medicine that can help. Or I've got this veterinary resource that's registered with the county. And so in those various ways, you can be deployed to where the need is. And the importance of that is when you're deployed to a specific need, the organization knows where you are. Should something go wrong? Should communication be lost? They know where they last sent you. And so they can come looking for you. So should something go wrong, they can rescue you. Versus self-deploying, which although helpful, seemingly helpful, there are times that now you become a burden on the first responders who are trying to respond to those that were impacted by the disaster, whether it's by a flat tire or some sort of injury in the process of attempting to rescue or help an animal. So it's really important to kind of stay within those parameters. But there's many, many even national organizations. There's the National Alliance of Animal and Agricultural Emergency Programs. And so this includes uh, a representative from every single state and then various entities such as our team that participate as well. There's many teams similar to ours across the country. And some are more closely connected to state agencies and federal agencies, whereas some are more of a nonprofit volunteer type organization. And in the end, we all deploy as resources of the state or local area. And with that, uh, it provides support that the county's not used to having. We have first responders for humans, which are always the first and greatest priority, but there's definitely animals that find themselves in situations like that. In mountainous areas, we have situations where you have dogs that might have to be rescued because they fell off a cliff as well as a human. And so it's thinking about those sorts of things as we go through and, and making sure that they have the protection and support that they need. Part of what we do too is try to encourage training of first responders uh, to be prepared for those animal emergencies, especially as Dr. McCarthy was mentioning, the technical rescue aspect, a dog that falls off the side of a mountain with an owner preparing local first responders to be able to respond to incidents where they're already likely to be because a human may be involved or to prevent it becoming from a human emergency. Um, we often see folks risking their lives on a regular basis to help support animals that they see in distress. We don't want our responders to end up becoming the victims and we don't want citizens out there trying to do good work to end up becoming victims in those cases. So part of what we do is encourage training between first responders and veterinarians to be able to work together to make good outcomes for those animals. So if the first responders are already trained in a lot of technical rescue types of applications, being able to connect them with a veterinarian who can provide that veterinary medical support, who can provide sedation if needed, who can let them know more about animal behavior, more about what they can expect as far as preventing injury to the animal in the process. Those are gonna be really critical pieces to making sure that these missions happen successfully and well. And by connecting veterinarians to some of those local emergency first responders can really make a big win for everybody involved. And you guys have talked about self-deploying and people who are trying to help becoming the victim and uh, bad outcomes happening with good intentions. 
how do veterinarians become first responders, veterinarians and veterinary professionals? How do we do it right so that we can do everything that we can to avoid ending up in one of these bad situations? So I would say the, the starting point is definitely going through, for any responder, veterinary or otherwise, it's really important to take the incident command system courses through FEMA. They're free courses. Anybody can take them. And they're really important to helping you understand the structure and the reasoning behind how to respond to a disaster and how to do so appropriately and safely. And so it's really important to start there because that's going to give you the foundation for understanding the response to disaster. It's not as simple as just bringing an animal into your clinic and, and providing medical care. Um, it's, it's really important to understand, you know, what are the potential factors to be considered? And so, so the first step is going ahead and getting that disaster sort of understanding and training and then looking at ways to get tacked in. So whether it's through your local or state veterinary medical association, or maybe your state agricultural response team. Um, and so in those cases, you're gonna have the opportunity to get connected. And in some cases, such as our team, with a program at the College of Veterinary Medicine, we often do take veterinarians with us. And so we always have you know, members of the faculty, but we often do take veterinary practitioners that are practicing and available. Sometimes those are uh, veterinary practitioners that are here practicing elsewhere in the state that just have an interest. Sometimes we have veterinarians that vacation during hurricane season in Florida from other places. As long as they're a licensed veterinarian with the state and they have uh, registration through the Florida Veterinary Medical Association, as long as all that is cleared, we actually can bring them with us and they can deploy with us appropriately. And so it, it, at this moment, since there's not veterinary specific training, it's very simple to become a responder. And then once you're registered, it's once again, that whole tracking. So we know where you've been, we know where you are, should something go wrong, should we lose communication, we can then go find you and, and save you from whatever's going on. So it's really important to have that so it really doesn't take a lot. Now, it doesn't mean that that information is always going to be easy to access. And so that's the other important thing, too, is to try to work with your local county and state officials as well. So contact Animal Control. Tell them you're a veterinarian and say, hey, look, I want to be able to help. How can I help in our community? Because not everybody can deploy and leave. But if you have a practice with a generator and have all the support that you need to run your practice post-disaster, why not be a resource for the county? Maybe the animal control needs to bring you some animals that they found injured on their street or stray animals, and you can provide that medical support there. So it's not always about going out and responding. Sometimes it's about responding right in your community. And so just by having a better understanding and taking those courses and making sure that you're aware and understand things can also make you an amazing resource to the community. Absolutely. Things you don't always think about when, uh, when you think of responses. Sometimes you can really be the biggest asset right where you are. I think it's really valuable for anybody, whether you plan to respond or not, to have some kind of basic awareness of how these emergency support functions work. So identifying what is available to you locally is helpful, whether you plan to respond or whether you're going to potentially need support. And having the uh, incident command system training is really helpful too, just for basic understanding of how this process works and what you can expect. So if you go to training.fema.gov, you can find their independent study courses. 
We recommend at minimum taking IS100C, IS200C, and IS700B. These are going to give you a basic overview of what you can expect from these incident command system setups so that you can recognize how you might fit into your community and what sort of resources you can expect to be coming in from that perspective. And I think that no matter where you fall on the spectrum, getting some kind of an acquaintance with that is helpful for you. And one other thing I would add is, as a veterinarian that provides any kind of ambulatory care, as long as there's roadways in your community, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you'll be contacted to help in a situation involving some sort of accident, whether it's an overturned trailer or some sort of transport moving through the area that's experienced some sort of damage, even a breakdown might, in the middle of the summer, might require animals to be moved off of a trailer. And so it's really important to kind of understand, you know, who those resources are and who do you contact. And, and if you want to be that resource, making sure and reaching out. And it could be to your local law enforcement, to your local fire rescue agencies, just to say, hey, look, I'm a resource. But like I said, it's really important to think that it's, it's only a matter of time before you might get that call from one of those agencies saying, hey, we have a situation and we need help, whether it's a dog in a well, a horse in a well, or a horse in a pool, or a horse in a septic tank, or a cow in all those different places. And so it's one of those things where probably more important if you provide any kind of ambulatory care to be prepared for that, but also by the same token too, understanding that even your practice might get a call and you might need to throw a little bag together and go out and provide some sort of medical support. Kind of that old saying, an ounce of prevention in this situation, <laughs> having an idea of how to respond to it when, when you get the call. Since I agree with you, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I feel like we could sit here and talk about this all day, but of course we, we do have to wrap this up at some point. Do you guys have any additional thoughts you'd like to share with us? I think the biggest thing as a veterinarian is to just really try to reach out and find your resources. And even if it's that Something along the lines, you know, for veterinarians in Florida, I would say contact your College of Veterinary Medicine. So whether it's your the College of Veterinary Medicine you went to or it's the one nearest to you, either way, contact them and reach out and say, hey, look, you know, either I want to be a resource or I want to know what the resources are. Um, and it may be that they direct you to your state veterinary medical association or your local veterinary medical association. So it's a matter of trying to reach out and find those resources that can either point you in the right direction or at least point you to where you need to be so that you feel confident that in the event of any situation, you know who to reach out to and have that contact. Um, it's going to vary by where you are in the country and where you are in the world, but it's really important to understand those things because I know as a practitioner for several years, if things came up, I didn't know who to contact. I knew if it was rabies related, I would contact animal control or the health department but outside that, I never thought to even reach outside that box. And I think it's really important as, as we move forward to really look at reaching outside that box to know what our resources are and know who to contact because if nothing else, you're going to provide valuable information to a client because that client's going to call you up and you're going to be like, I know exactly who to connect you to and this is how you get that help. And I think that's probably the most important thing there is because especially in this information age, Clients may not have as much access to the resources that they need. And so we need to be able to provide that because 
they can get a lot of the information for a lot of the basic things, but some of these more complex things like disaster response and animals in emergency situations, it may be better for us to be able to provide that other information so we're still that necessary resource. Maybe something we uh, we kind of take for granted these days that we'll have all the information right there at our fingertips because we have our phone and we can just Google it. But if you're in the middle of a disaster and there is no cell tower and you don't have access to that information, something to be aware of and just have your information on hand ahead of time. In, in addition to being so connected into your community and recognizing those resources and having that preparation in advance, preparing yourself and your practice to be resilient throughout these disasters is really of critical importance. It's always ideal if you don't need all these organizations and agencies coming in to help support an area. The better you can be prepared for yourself as an individual to get back into your practice and be able to help your community that way, um, and the better prepared your practice is to be able to run and operate even in potentially austere conditions, that's going to make the community response that much faster because now we're not waiting for teams like ours and beyond to come back in and help give that support. So in addition to communicating with your local resources, make sure that you are as resilient and prepared as you can possibly be to be that resource if needed. Thank you guys so much for joining us for these podcasts. I feel like I, I've, I've learned a whole lot listening to all that you have to say, and I, I would believe that everybody else will too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Brandy and Dr. Garcia for joining us. Some fantastic pointers there about how to be a resource in the face of a disaster. To find more podcasts like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this session, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.